I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. Welcome to my podcast where I invite you to join me each week as I shine a light on some of the very best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offer advice to those that want to make in the UK. But before we get on to today's episode, I just want to tell you about an event that I've got coming up. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers and British-made brands from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. Taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London, we've got over 200 exhibitors inspiring talks just like the ones on this podcast and it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive. Registration is now open and if you go to mib.live forward slash podcast VIP I've got a special something for you when you register. I hope to see you there and now let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 45 of the Make It British podcast. On this show, I'm talking to Fenella Devitt of luxury silk accessory brand Firehorse Fashion. Fenella has a 20-year career as a business advisor supporting young creative businesses. And by doing this, she'd spotted an opportunity to give them a commercial platform that so many of them didn't have. Fenella's not only got a background in manufacturing, but a family history in it too. And she's got some fantastic tips and business advice for others who are in creative industries. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Fenella. Thank you very much for joining me on the Make It British podcast. Well, hi, Kate. It's lovely to be here. Do you um, want to tell everyone what your business is and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, my business is um, Firehorse. Um, that's um, firehorse.fashion is the website if anyone wants to have a little peek. And um, so basically it's a luxury accessories business um, starting with silk scarves. And um, so should I, should I tell you a wee bit about the background to why I set it up, Kate? Definitely. Tell everyone because you've got a very interesting background, haven't you? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I spent the last um, 20 years, I guess, as a business advisor, supporting creative people and cultural organisations, helping them with their marketing and their business planning. In fact, I still do that. And um, when I set up Firehorse, I wanted to, I guess, create a kind of a creative engine which would help spot, incubate, and grow new creative talent. So what I do is, I suppose I'm trying to challenge the status quo a wee bit and engage young new designers, which with pretty much little or no commercial experience and give them a kind of, um, you know, a really high quality platform to showcase their work. So on one hand, um, I'm working with really young people, but what I also love working with UK manufacturers I may be teaming them up with people who've been working in the sector for 30 plus years. So you've got this you know, incredible experience on one side and then you have young designers who you know, I love because they bring enthusiasm, energy and you know, massive amount of creativity to the brand. Uh, when you say designers, you're talking about um, print, aren't you? Print designers. Yeah. Is, that, or is it 
other areas of design as well. No, you're right. It is. I've started with my four debut collection designers before in total, and they're all textile designers. But going forward, Kate, I'm really open to working with all sorts of artists. Um, you know, might even I might even be putting an architectural drawing on silk. And in fact, you don't actually have to be uh, professionally trained to be a far horse designer. Although my four designers at the moment are all, you know, incredible first class honours graduates, um, I may work with a street artist in the future. You just need to be incredibly talented. And also, um, I absolutely love collaboration. So it's working with people who enjoy collaborating with us and, you know, and letting us, um, I guess, help convert their designs into, you know, really, really top-notch uh, quality products for our customers. So where did the, the current designers that you work with, you say there's four of them, yeah. how did you how did you select them? What was your criteria? Because you're, to de- describe your products to everyone, I mean, I think of them and, you know, they're, they're gloriously colourful, beautiful prints, aren't they? And there's a very certain mm-hmm. handwriting, even though it's, several different designers so how did you go about selecting them I suppose and you know to be perfectly honest and maybe this will um, ring a bell with some of the people listening in you know it's all a learning curve and I wouldn't say and um, you know I knew how to curate a collection before I started this and I, I did it very much on instinct um, I just knew I wanted to work with people who are working at the top of their game but the products and um, when you look at our designs I thought I want to steer clear maybe from a steer clear or move away from uh, perhaps the traditional prints of florals and seed pods. And I guess just although they're beautiful designs I'd seen a lot of and go maybe a little bit more abstract, a little vibrant, vivacious and uh, contemporary with some geometrics. And it's not to say that that will necessarily characterise the next collection, but that seemed to be a sort of a a nice kind of colourful, high energy link to the current collection. Yeah, you can tell that when you're when you're looking at them. So so let's step back a little bit, because I know you've got an interesting manufacturing history to your family, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, growing up, um, my dad was director of um, an Irish linen company. And so, um, you know, this was back in the sort of 50s and 60s when he would take these six week trips to America with his suitcases of the finest damask linen and take them around all the department stores. And, you know, sadly, that age has disappeared a bit. But, um, you know, we grew up really with this notion, Kate, that um, my mum used to always say, cheap is dear and dear is cheap. Oh, I like the sound of your mum. (laughs) She's a woman after my own heart. I always say, buy cheap and you buy twice. Yeah, so, you know, we were brought up with that kind of mantra that, um, you know, you really um, buy buy products that are made to last. You know, it's less, as you say, it's less expensive in the long run. And it's just a sheer joy out of, um, you know, handling and owning and promoting um, products, I guess, from this country, which represent, you know, the absolute finest artisan manufacturing. And then, um, 
So that was that. And then my my mum and three sisters are all art school graduates. So again, you know, I grew up in the, or I studied the kind of business side of things. So I could see this huge need to try and help um, creative people commercialise their work. And it's a skill that's coming in a bit in the colleges, but I think we need a lot more of it. And sometimes, you know, young people are coming out completely overwhelmed, um, you know, in terms of how do they make a living out of their craft. That Yeah, so, that is so true, isn't it? Because they're saying yeah. that more and more people now are, I mean, it certainly was my case. I set up, I, I did a creative degree and set up my own business selling clothes that I made straight after university. Mm-hmm. And I had no clue about business. And that's why the business failed after a few years. So yeah. what sort of advice do you give um, people that have come out of creative degree courses um, about how they can become more business savvy? Because if, like you say, if they're not taught it in college, yeah, how, yeah. How, can they, how can they quickly pick up all the information? Because there's so many things that go into running a business, which quite often doesn't sit so well with creative people, does it? Accounts and things like that. Well, that's right. And I think, you know, um, part of being a creative person is that complete immersion in what you do and what you love. And so you're very, very product oriented. And, you know, as a trained as a marketing person, you know, we we're obviously geared up to to really look at, um, you know, knowing your market and understanding what do people actually want and try to marry that with what you're and passionate about so a lot of the time I, I would have been helping or and I, I still do with my consultancy work help um creative people and organizations understand um what um what people out in the marketplace actually want and where they fit into that you know are you working at the top of the market or are you more of a mass market product and um, you know do you want to sell direct to the consumer yourself or uh, are you not really keen on all that sales and marketing malarkey would you rather go through intermediaries and work with you know maybe work um uh, on the licensing deal to, uh, to get your work out into the marketplace so understanding all the kind of delivery routes how the customer ticks and another thing i say is and i believe in it still you know after years myself is Ask other people who are working in the sector what yes, works. Yes, I mean, I was saying to you before we started talking today, you um, listened into your brilliant podcast with um, Patrick from Curious Goose on Instagram. And, you, you know, what I, and you were saying this as well, what we love about the sector is that it's so collaborative and I've had people working in similar sectors help me, competitors help me. And, you know, and I say that to creatives as well is go and ask somebody who's doing it already because you've been surprised you know that openness to help yeah, and I do think particularly from people and brands that make in the UK, um, there is this tendency you know, in a good way for everyone to want to collaborate with each other. That's certainly the feedback we've had from quite a few of our Make It British members is that they love it when we get them all together and they get the opportunity to talk with each other because actually, like you learned from Patrick, he's an, a real whiz on Instagram and he's that's really helped him grow his business. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we've got other members who are doing really, really well with Facebook ads and yeah. and it might, you know, knowing what's working for other people and how they're 
promoting their creative business and their products that are made in the UK is is yeah. definitely the best way to learn. People aren't sort of hiding behind their homework like they used to sort of thing, you know, hide, yeah. also hiding the homework behind their hands, not that sharing. Was, um, There's a, quite a keen willingness to share at the moment, I think, which is fantastic. And the other thing I'd say, Kate, is to people, and I find this myself, um, you know, with previous businesses, but very much with this is, people give you different advice and that's only natural, you know, because what as you just said, what works for one person mightn't work for the next person. So, you know, take in all this advice and don't rush in with your precious marketing funds and put all your eggs in one basket. It's okay to take a step back when you're launching and even for, you know, quite a few months and observe, see what works, what doesn't work. Um, because there are lots of different ways to make it work and just finding out what's right for you. Yeah. So you're selling um, online through your own website at the moment. Um, Do you also wholesale your products? So what is your, you know, how are you um, walking the talk in a way, I suppose, and for the advice that you give creative businesses, you're now on the other side, aren't you, with the creative business yourself, albeit representing these designers. Um, So how do you... um, you know, reach new customers with your products? Yeah. So mostly at the moment, I mean, I'm still very new and learning my way with it myself um, because I I did a soft launch around autumn last year and um, really um, I've been selling online mostly and through starting to build up the brand through the friends and family network and um, really just gearing up into my retail strategy starting to approach um, retailers directly. I actually went over to um, Paris to um, in the, what was it, um, February, end of February, beginning of March, to have a little recce of Premier Class, the big luxury. Oh, yes, yeah. Because, again, it's just part of my research. You know, what does that look like? What would it cost to get involved in um, you know, I've done, from what I understand, is that would be one of the best ones to, apart from your own good show, Kate. <laughs> Thank you for the little plug there, Fanella. <laughs> and that, again, is a total minefield uh, because you, at the beginning, you know, you have um, loads of shows trying to sell you their wares and it's trying to work out what's right for your brand. Are even, you know, are shows the way to go or probably just one show or two shows combined with, you know, another route. So I'm researching that and uh, also I think- very... So, Fenella, yeah, talking about the trade shows there, I think that comes back to what you were saying about knowing who your customer is because do you know whether you want to wholesale or just sell direct to the consumer, B2C? And if you know whether your target audience is export or, you know, department stores in Japan or independent stores in the UK. And if you know which shows they go to and where they hang out, where they source their new products from, then that's the place to go to as a new brand, isn't it? So to find out, I mean, certainly from our own show, we get a really diverse mix of visitors. But the one thing they all have in common is that they want to find products that are made in the UK. And so they're looking for quality made products. Something yeah. like Premier Class that you mentioned in Paris, um, it's it's a luxury accessory show, isn't it? So a lot of the big department stores will go there specifically looking for luxury accessories. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, obviously there there are so many routes you can go, you know, looking at the UK, looking at export markets, selling direct, selling through wholesale. And so at the moment, you know, really my focus is online and domestic, but starting to take steps to see where I can expand next. But as I said before, taking my time to do the research because much as, you know, much as it would be lovely to gallop off in a million directions at speed with large budgets, in reality, you know, I think this um, developing a new brand is a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly. Definitely. Great advice. You hear the, the old sort of saying, you know, wow, that overnight success, that overnight success brand is amazing. It took them eight years. You know? Yeah, so true. Yeah. So I think my advice is also to um, be in it for the long game and get it right as you go along and no sort of big, you know, for me, I'm trying to grow the brand organically without big external investment and you know, the pressure of borrowing and uh, you know learn as I go along other people may have a, another strategy but I think you you've so much on your plate is don't put yourself under too much pressure uh, in you know in that first year or so yeah, that I mean, that is so true, definitely. And also focus on doing one thing um, and get that right first and get, get the feedback from your customer. What has the feedback been? Because obviously you take a risk, don't you, when you're bringing several different designers in and you're selling um, the, the designs that they've yeah. done, there was always the risk that one designer would be less successful than the other. Yeah. But yes. you told me that actually you've picked them so well that they're all doing equally as well on on your products yeah, that was quite a relief because what i found <laughs> is that you know for example um uh Shrozik valve and um, his range and um, atlantis vivid violet that one of his scarves is going really well dreamscape for emma kendall another of my designers and then annie tavener her solena scarf is selling very well and for rachel probably the origami scarf at the moment so um you yeah, know, the origami is my favourite, definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, and of course, you know that um, that shifts all the time as people, um, you know, as new customers come in. And um, you actually, yeah. you you ran a competition with us, didn't you, on Make It British? So we gave away um, one of your products. In fact, I think it was one of our, our most popular competitions ever. That's kind of testament to how much people love them. And you also. Um, let the winner choose from your collection as to which one they wanted. I'm interested to know, which one did they pick? Um, in the end, they picked Dashed. Yeah, I had to think for a minute, Kate, for I got that one. <laughs> oh, they chose Dash, so the turquoisey one. Right, brilliant. I will put the link as well in the show notes for the podcast, Vanilla, so people can oh, see so your website. Wow. I would have to say, you know, that was, that was an amazing opportunity for me. I think we had over... I think it was over 4,000. Yeah, uh, and then 700 or, or so of those people signed up to my database. So you know, it was incredibly simple to run from my perspective. And, oh, good. Um, you know, really good return on investment. So Brilliant. Uh, that was very good. Well, we love to do that as well because it gets, um, you know, new British brands like yours in front of a much wider audience because, you know, that's the whole 
the whole reason for Make It British being really is to make sure that we can spread the word about UK made brands and manufacturers. <laughs> talking of, sorry. sorry, say that again. Yeah, I was just going to say, talking of um, quality that's made in Britain, I mean, this has been something I've been quite passionate about because I have a background in uh, brand management in the papermaking industry in this country. And so we worked with, um, uh, you know, we were promoting, you know, incredibly fine paper brands that were 100% cotton or China clay coated. And, um, you know, what we find is that, uh, people really do appreciate the quality that um, UK manufacturers are able to produce. And so I suppose Brilliant. that really spurred me on to, um, you know, think, yeah, I think there's scope to produce something um, of a really luxurious quality uh, that, um, you know, sets itself apart perhaps from cheaper imports. Brilliant. I mean, that was one of the questions I was going to ask, and I quite often ask that of our guests, is how much do your customers value and, and, and like the fact that you made your product in Britain? And it sounds like to yours, they truly do appreciate it, which is really fantastic to hear. Yeah, we, we get um, people saying that, um, you know, the finish on some of the big designer brands isn't as meticulous as, you know, what they're seeing on our brands and similar brands coming from these you know, incredible artisan manufacturers and printers we work with. So it's, um, I think there is a real, people do appreciate this real, um if you yeah creative manufacturing heritage that we have in this country and it's just you know it's lovely with the brand to be able to promote that brilliant yeah so that, that is um you know certainly something that i think is becoming more important now as well uh, when I first started Make It British, you know, nine years ago or whatever, people thought I was a bit mad <laughs> and that we don't really make anything in the UK. And, you know, it's all it's not very good quality anymore. And it's like, no, look, there's some amazing manufacturers and they can make some beautiful stuff. So that's lovely to hear when you know, you do something like silk scarves with hand rolled edges that yeah. you're, you're equally as good, if not better than somewhere like, you know, silk scarves produced in Como mm. or somewhere like that. That's right. We we spent ages really at the prototyping stage and um, shifted our production a few times up and down the country just to get absolutely top-notch quality. I think that's really important to us. And when your when your um, scarves are, are finished, do you go to the factory before they ship them to you to check on the production? Well, I'll be perfectly honest, Kate. I haven't yet, but I want to. <laughs> I want to go to, and you know, we, I think that would be another bit of advice to give: is developing a good relationship with your um, partners is really key. And we, we've had lots of lovely conversations over the phone and following, you know, uh, different members of staff on Instagram. They're following the brand back, um, but you know, I must admit, I love. I love factories, I suppose, coming from a manufacturing background. Yeah, of course. And if I can get away from kids and dog and uh, the whole paraphernalia, <laughs> that's an, another one on my list. <laughs> Although, actually, I um, I seem to be finding more and more dogs in factories at the moment that I've been visiting. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to do a podcast about dogs in factories because um, I think it's becoming a bit of a thing at the moment. <laughs> I, think maybe, I think maybe I'm going to bring my kids and dog because they Definitely. are the 
they are the future team, so I may as well train them young. Yeah, well, I've taken my daughter. I mean, she's 14 now, but even since she was about eight, I have taken her around quite a few um, factories. In fact, she keeps nagging me to go to the Cambridge Satchel factory. She's got an ulterior motive because she wants another Cambridge Satchel. Um, so I must I must fix that up. So if Julie's listening into this, I need to get around to organising my trip to the Cambridge <laughs> Satchel factory. But yeah, I agree, you know, get kids in to see manufacturing. I mean, did your father actually own the paper manufacturing mill? Or you um, just sold so the products? Was, um, so I worked in paper manufacturing and then dad was on the Irish linen side of things. Oh, of course, yes. Um, so he didn't actually own it, but he kind of worked his way up literally from sweeping on the shop floor all the way through the ranks to being a director of the company before uh, before he retired. So, um, you know, Brilliant. it was just, um, again, you know, we could see as kids when he was taking all these samples out to America and, and, you know, Caribbean and all sorts of places around the world, Australia, that there was this real appreciation for yeah. this, you know, this lovely product all the way back in Ireland. Which and, brings me to the question, have you not thought about adding some printed linen into your collection? Well, you know, it's really interesting because I was up at um, a textile forum show and I was talking to different um, people about textiles in different countries and um, humidity levels, for example, out in Japan. And the whole chat was around um, putting in different mixes of fibres with silk to actually suit the um, climatic conditions in different yeah, markets. Of course. Yes. Which is quite exciting. But yeah, yes, you know, that's another, uh, we're, we're already sowing seeds for our next collection in terms of looking at different fabrics and fabric mixes. But no, you're right, Kate. Well, there's a fantastic uh, um, Irish um, linen mill called John England. They they ex they exhibit at our show every year, and they are they they are obviously linen weavers. They do quite experimental mixes as well. So it will definitely be worth you yes. speaking to them. It's worth going to visit them. It's a fantastic heritage there. Exactly, they're in Belfast, and they're worth a visit. Um, so and Judith, from, so. yeah, exactly. Oh, well, you, if you're coming to our show this year, you'll meet Judith, who, who is the kind of creative director at John we'll England. Probably find out, we'll probably find out we're related as you do after talking yes. to people in Northern <laughs> Ireland after five minutes. <laughs> they are the last remaining um, kind of commercial linen weaver yeah. in Northern Ireland. So you should definitely have a chat with Judith. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I'll do you an intro. <laughs> fantastic Thank brilliant you. so on that note then Fenella what are your plans for the future for your business yeah well um uh, you know what when I started I thought um yeah I started with a simple square because um I could get my head around a square and I thought we need to absolutely crack that in terms of quality and the business model and so on so I think um my plan is to stay very much with scarves in fashion at the moment but extend um, the range into other fabrics and sizes and um, also look at um, other collaborations with designers and maybe getting some of the current designers to collaborate with um, designers from other parts of the world really really keen on collaboration and weaving in these different cultural influences because again I think that's a lovely kind of reflection on 
modern Britain. So yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so basically, yeah, expand from where we've got and probably increase the range and give people a little bit more variety. You know, we started with one size of scarf and one finish, really, just as a debut collection to pop a toe in the water. And now we're getting a little bit of feedback, which is um, helping us shape that. And from here, then, we really just want to spread our wings, both in terms of getting into wholesale and uh, keeping going with our, you know, direct to uh, end users online. Right, so, yep. So, yeah, lots of, um, yeah, far too many ideas, to Brilliant. be honest. <laughs> but if you're taking your own advice, you're just going to focus on one of them. <laughs> yes, <I think laughs> oh, brilliant, Vanilla. So where can people find you then? Um, is it is the best social media place, yeah. Instagram for you? Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, our handle's at firehorse.fashion or on the website, um, www.firehorse.fashion again. That would be the best place to find us. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really lovely chatting to you. Thank you very much. See you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.